the beginner's guide to predicting your future. You must be thinking, well, is he into astrology all of a sudden? Or is this the, if you're from the 80s, is this the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Any of you remember that? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? So I haven't gone off the deep end. I am not teaching astrology. This is not the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, okay? It's something uh, quite a bit more important than that. And we're starting this series today, The Beginner's Guide to Predicting the Future. I have run into people over the last couple of decades uh, in the church context, but not only in the church context, even in people who are not church, not Christian people. And they would love the ability to see into their future. They would love to know, where am I going to be five years, ten years down the road, you know? And, and people of faith, they frame the question a little bit different. And they say, well, what is God's will for my life? Um, and usually it's in, it's in the, the following areas. You know, uh, who am I going to have a meaningful relationship with? Who am I going to usually, you know, and often, am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? How will I know if it's the right person, you know? How do I know if I'm in God's will? And some people get all fancy and they say, how do I know I'm in the center of God's will, and they get all theological with this whole center of God's will business. Am I in the permissive will of God, or am I in the perfect will of God, and all this kind of Christianese that they use, you know? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do for a job? Um, these kinds of questions, and we want to know what God's will is, that really is the same thing as asking, where am I going to be five years, ten years down the road, isn't it? It's a future question we're asking, and we want to know the answer to that question. And the truth be told, this business about predicting your future, in more areas than we care to admit, we can, with a reasonable degree of accuracy, predict our future in more areas of life than we care to admit. So, so just, just to test this out a little bit, have you ever said to yourself, after a given thing has happened to you, have you ever said, oh, I should have seen that coming? I should have known that that was going to happen. I mean, you know, I spent all of this money for years and years and years kind of in a frivolous fashion. I should have known that it was going to catch up to me. I should have known that interest rates were eventually going to rise. I should have, I should have realized that I was going to fall into major debt and, you know, declare bankruptcy. I should have seen that coming. I mean, there are certain things in life where, you know, you start connecting the dots and you can, with a reasonable degree of accuracy, predict, okay, this is where this thing is going. This is where this train is driving. This is what I see happening. And we're really good at saying this with other people. He should have seen it coming. She should have seen it coming. They should have seen it coming. I mean, look, the couple 
just strongly dislikes each other all the time. They should have seen it coming that they were headed for, you know, a catastrophe in their relationship. They should have, I mean, he should have seen it coming. He didn't see what she was doing on the side. She didn't see what he was doing on the side. But you saw it. And just, oh, well, we know where this is going. I mean, he's dating this lady and this lady is like an ex, you know, she's a drug dealer or she's dating this guy and he's in a gang. I mean, don't they see where this is going? This is the train wreck that's going to happen with the major things in life, in our personal life and the decisions that we're making, we can, with a reasonable degree of accuracy, predict the future. I get a little bit of feedback in my ear. Uh, if the monitor is on, you can shut it down. I'm not sure if it's the monitor or not. Either that or I'm possessed. I'm not sure. No, just kidding. Talking about predicting the future, right? No, it's not astrology. Um, but we can, folks, and we can, I think, with a, with, in more arenas of life than we care to admit. For sure, there are things that take us by surprise. For sure, there are moments of unpredictability in life. They happen all the time. But then there are things that we do and choices that we make and lifestyles that we live and decisions we make and actions and all these things, and we somehow think that there's no consequence to all those things. But there are, and those things are all connected. They're often, uh, you, you can watch and you can see, oh, I can see where this is going to go. It's a future question, what is God's will? And I'm convinced that the will of God is not that complicated. In most areas of life, it is not that complicated. Most of the time, the will of God, Tozer, A.W. Tozer said this. Most of the time, I think he said 80% of the time, the will of God is clearly revealed in his word, the Bible. Clearly. You, you want to know who to marry? Read the Bible. You know what the Bible says about who to marry? One thing. Marry someone of like faith as you. It's the will of God. Well, I don't know, you know, he's a drug dealer, but maybe he'll, maybe he'll come to Christ, you know, if I'm really nice to him. No, he's a drug dealer. He's not a Christian. He's not saved. You stay away from him. It's the will of God. Yeah, I know it's the will of God, but my heart really feels attracted to the guy. I know he's a drug dealer, but, you know, maybe he'll grow up. Maybe he'll snap out of it. Well, maybe he won't. Maybe that's a train wreck that's ready to happen. You see, you can discern the will of God fairly clearly. About 80% of the time, Tozer said, just from reading the Bible and applying the Bible to your life on a regular basis, it's not that mysterious, it's not that complicated. You can, with a reasonable degree of accuracy in a lot of areas of life, actually say, okay, I can see where this is going. Um, now, just to drop a little bit of a bombshell on you, and I, I really believe this is true, having, having watched this in people's lives and even in my own life, um, your personal problems, most of your personal problems, probably all of your personal problems, cannot be fixed, okay? You say, how does this relate to predicting the future? You'll see. But they can be Avoided. What do I mean by personal problems? Uh, well, you know, your, your problem with your temper, that is not a problem that you snap your little finger and you press a little button and all of a sudden you have no problem with your temper. 
Okay, that is, a, that is a personal problem that you have to deal with, you have to cope with, you have to learn certain skills, you have to learn certain ways of changing, all those kinds of things. But it's not something that you just sort of snap your finger and fix. And we think that life problems and those kinds of personal problems, you know, relationships, your professional life, your home life, your, your, your familial uh, life, your academic life, the problems that we have in those areas, we think that we can press little buttons and we can fix these problems. Life does not work like that. You are not a cell phone. You are not a computer. Uh, you are not a soundboard. You don't just press a button. You're not a microwave. You're not even a car. Like, you can't be fixed. Oh, well, just take it to the doctor, and it'll get made just like new again. Life does not work like that. You're a lot more complex than that. Your personal problems cannot be fixed, per se, but they can be avoided. A lot of them can be avoided. You can learn to say, wait a second, if I play this movie forward five years, ten years down the road, this is likely where it's going to end up. This is likely the outcome of all of these little micro and major decisions that I'm making. This is likely the way that it's going to go. Well, do you still want to go in that direction or are you going to change that but if you think that your personal problems can just be fixed, that's not the way that it works, my friends. Um, I have, I have um, uh, seen and referred a number of people over the years to counselors, uh, psychologists, even psychiatrists in my ministry. Those of you who know me, I've been transparent with you. I have, there was a period in my life where I saw a counselor for more than two years um, and by the way, uh, there's people in this, in this audience who I've referred to a counselor, a guy who I know who's actually in BC, and a few of you have taken me up on my offer. One thing I know about good counselors, good psychologists, even good psychiatrists and psychotherapists and these kinds of people, do you know what they do? They don't fix problems, the good ones. The good ones say, let me give you a strategy to help you fix your problem. Let me give you a way for you to start thinking about your problem and shifting the way that you do things. But the good ones will not fix your problems. Good pastors will not fix your problems either. They will help you to look inside. They will help you to look at things in a different way so that you can maybe change directions. And before you know it, you've fixed your own problem, not because of a quick fix, but because of a change in the direction, you see? And there's a difference. You're not a piece of electronics that can somehow be fixed. And everything has a connection there. Your decisions, the, the, there's, there's an outcome. Play the movie forward, and you can likely predict where it's all going to go. How many of you know the Toronto Raptors? Come on now. The Toronto Raptors, no clapping. Any Canadians here? Like any people who are, you have a Canadian passport? Like you should be clapping. The first Canadian team in NBA history has won the, my goodness, I don't know. Two million people in the streets of Toronto celebrating. I mean, that's a big, big deal. You know, those of you who watch sports, you know this thing about predicting the future is true. Because what do we do in sports? We observe the past, and we can, with a reasonable degree of accuracy, predict the future. 
You say, well, this player here does this in this particular situation, whatever the sport you pick it. This is their tendency. This is their track record. This is where they typically shoot the puck. This is typically where they shoot the basketball. This is typically where they hit the tennis ball. This is typically where they hit the baseball, whatever. You pick, this is typically how they hit the golf ball. You pick the sport. This is how they have behaved. And so we can say this is what they will do in this circumstance. Those of you who know me, you know I like to watch baseball. In baseball, they do this all the time. Because in baseball, you fail seven out of ten times, you're a superstar. And in baseball, they, play, they actually play now percentages, mathematical games with percentages, and they will shift an entire defense into one quadrant of the field based on the history of the person at bat. And they say, we know that this person hits the ball in this area of the field X percentage of the time. And therefore, we will shift all of the field over to that side, and we will leave the entire field on this side completely wide open because we know that the hitter will never hit it there. The chances are maybe 2 in 10 that that hitter will hit it there. 8 out of 10 times they're going to hit it there. And lo and behold, the big dumb guy, he, he tries to hit the ball with all his might. He hits it right to everybody. Because they played the percentages, they played the statistics, and they say, listen, past performance is a predictor of future behavior. That's the way life works. You can, if you start thinking about all the dots that you put on that page, you can say, oh, I know where this is going. I can see where this is going. I have seen this so many times in my ministry in people's lives. I can see a train wreck a mile away, and the person who I'm talking to does not see it happen. With, with women, I have seen it so many times, so many times in the area of relationships, so many times. I mean, even now, I'm dealing with one particular case. The, the, the person is not even in the country. They're overseas, and I'm in contact with them electronically. And this lady is getting in a relationship that's like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an absolute disaster. And I'm trying to explain and say, this is where this is going to go. I know you're desperate. I know this the set of circumstances that you are in. But this is where it is going to go. Do you hear me? This is, it's easy to predict. It's easy to see because you're trying to do something that clearly, clearly, clearly the scripture is warning you against. But you want this relationship with this guy and you're desperate with this, for this guy for this particular reason. And I'm telling you, it's going to end in a train wreck. I'm not sure if I've fully persuaded her yet. I have seen it so many times in, with ladies, with, with the guys. I have seen it with the guys in terms of, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do a little of this on the side. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to, my, my significant other won't know. My wife won't know. It doesn't matter. I can look at porn. I can do this. I can do that. It's all going to be okay. Nobody has to know. And, you know, it's, hey, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. Man, do you not see that? Do you not see where this is going? Do you not see where that financial decision is going to take you? You're, you're playing high-risk games with all your money. Do you not realize that interest rates will one day rise? Do you not realize that one day something cataclysmic could happen financially? Do you not realize? Why are you playing these kinds of games? Why are you running these red lights in your life? It is going to end in a train wreck. I can see it down the road. 
so many times. I don't know why it is, but I've sat down with couples so many times where there's been infidelity, there's been an affair, there's been this, there's been that, and you could see the pieces of the puzzle assembling themselves in their lives. Well, did, I mean, did, did, did you ever, when you, when you decided to get married, did you ever sit down with somebody beforehand to, you know, do a little bit of preparation? You know what you're getting into? No, we were in love. Did you know anything about each other before you got married? No, we, we were just in love. Oh, I see. Okay. So, uh, and what about all these, you know, your, this partner, you know, the husband or the wife, you had all these, like, all these uh, coffee, you know, moments with this person at work, and that never was a red flag for you? Like, you just permitted that to happen? Oh, yeah, I didn't see anything wrong with that. Like, no need for boundaries in your relationship? No, no, no need for that. No, no, no. And so you wonder why this has gone on, because there's all these dots that you didn't connect, you see. And you can, again, you can reasonably predict your future if you start to connect the dots. Now, we're going to talk in this series about a principle uh, over the next four weeks, which I'll call the principle of direction, the principle of direction. Now, uh, principles are real interesting things, okay? So, uh, a principle is not something that... uh, doesn't affect your life. It affects your life whether you realize it or whether you don't. Uh, Principles are not rules for you to follow. Uh, They tend actually to follow you. Um, They're not laws that you can break, uh, but they may actually break you. Um, They're not things that you apply, but they may apply themselves to you. If you're not careful, you'll start to realize, oh, wait a minute, I've been broken by this principle. Uh, This thing has stuck to my life, and I didn't even realize it. This thing has followed me, and I didn't even realize it. In the physical world, we see this all the time. Uh, I'm standing on this stage. You're sitting in that seat. That's, That's gravity, okay? That's a a principle. That's a theory of gravity. Like, whether you agree with it or not, it's got you. It's got you pinned to that seat. It's got me standing on this stage. I'm not floating. Like, it's applying itself to your life. Whether you realize it or not, you are playing by its rules. And there are principles like this in the way that we live our lives. They're experienced, and you can even explain them if you start to connect the dots. So it's about a direction that you take rather than a quick fix or a solution that you try and just shove into your life. We're so accustomed to these electronics, we think that our lives are like them. Just press the button, you can fix it all. The relationship goes bad, the marriage goes bad, so what? Remarry. You know, it's like a car. Car goes bad, get a new car. You know, we tend to think about life like this. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. The the, the business decision, it'll work itself out in the end. It'll all come out in the wash. And then a curveball comes and disaster comes and something comes from the side. And wow, you realize what a bad decision. I should have seen it coming. You've got to pay attention to your direction rather than just looking for solutions to problems all the time. A change in direction is not the same as fixing something that is broken. 
It is very easy to fix a piece of electronics or, or, or a car or something like that. That's very easy. To fix a life, you need a change of direction, not some magic bullet uh, solution. It's our direction that determines our destination regardless of the outcome. Doesn't matter. The outcome can be good. The outcome can be bad. It was the destination that you, uh, the destination that you hit was a result of the direction that you were on. You change the direction, you will change the circumstances of life. You keep the direction going one way and it's leading down to a train wreck, you will hit the train wreck. If you change the direction, you will, you will avoid the train wreck. And that's what we want to do is learn how do we avoid some of these things uh, instead of having to walk right into them. And we do this with our understanding of Christianity all the time. Particularly in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we think that Christianity is some kind of magic button solution. Just come to Jesus, and it's like pressing the reset button. It's like pulling the plug out of your router. Pull the plug out, wait 30 seconds, put the plug in, everything will be okay. After all, he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Hallelujah, great. I can wipe it all clean. I can wipe out the hard drive, and I can start all brand new. How many of you know it doesn't really work like that? How many of you know all the things that you did, all the memories that you have, all the baggage that you have, that's still there, but what did you do? You changed direction when you came to Christ. You didn't press some magic button. It's not some magic fix. What you did was you changed direction. This is illustrated beautifully in the word repentance. To repent means you change the direction that you're on. You're walking toward a destructive direction towards sin, and you actually change direction. You repent, and you're walking in a different direction towards Jesus rather than towards destruction. It's not restarting. It's not rebooting. It's not resetting. It is a change in your direction. You change the direction, you start connecting different dots, it leads to a different outcome. That is, that is a first principle, a first way that you can understand this concept of predicting your future. Now, let me get into how Jesus talks about this. Uh, this is from Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is like the sermon about everything in life. I mean, this is an amazing uh, a piece of scripture that you should read on your own. You know, it starts way back in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5. It goes all the way till pretty well the end of chapter 7. It's a, it's a, it's a magnificent sermon that Jesus preaches here. Uh, some believe that he preached it many times, and it was like one of his main messages that he kept going back over to over and over again. This is how he ends the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, and you got to find out why the therefore is therefore. You read all two chapters, he concludes it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, like Tozer said, Tozer said 80% of the will of God is in the Bible. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice actually does what I'm talking about and applies these principles that I'm talking about and teaching about to their life. They hear 
my words. They actually do what I say. They actually put them into practice. Let me tell you what this person is like. This person is, is like, a, like someone who just has the magic button solution to everything in life. This person just, you know, they just walk through life and nothing bad happens to them and everything is perfect and it's like, it's like magic. That's what happens to this person who hears my words and puts them into practice. No, that's not what he says. He who hears my words and put them, puts them into practice is like a person who wants a quick fix, a person who just presses the reset button on the router. No, is like a wise man or wise woman, if you choose. It, they're wise. How are they wise? They know how to connect the dots of life, and they can see the outcome of decision after decision after decision. They're like a wise man who built his house. Interesting image. Building a house, how many of you know it takes a little while? Yes? Anybody ever built a house before or paid someone to build a house? We have somebody in the, in the congregation here who is a building inspector. He could tell you an awful lot and has pastored as well. He could tell you an awful lot about building a house. This person here who Jesus is talking about, a wise man who built his house, takes time, takes effort, a lot of work, a lot of planning, who built his house on the rock. Interesting image. So this is what a person is like who hears my words, Jesus says, and puts them into practice. They're wise, and they built a house, and they built their house on the rock. Now, the house is, is an image that Jesus is using for your life. Again, your, your relationships, your professional life, your academic life, your home life, your, your professional life, your financial life, your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life. You've, it's building a house who built his house on the rock. Hmm. The rain came down and the streams rose. How many of you know you've experienced this here in the province of Quebec in the spring? Yes. Rain came down, springs rose, happened in 2017 as well. Rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, against that life that is built. You had water from above, you had water from below, you had wind from the side. The house was attacked by the elements. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he talks about another guy in this little story. And he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. So they hear the words of Jesus. Maybe they read the Bible and say, oh, it's fine, it's fine, but there's no application to my life. I'm not going to even bother learning how to apply it to my life. Don't care, whatever, whatever. And, you know, it's nice, it's good that Jesus said blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, I'm just going to live life. Whoever hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. Let me tell you what that person is like. That person is like a foolish man 
doesn't connect the dots of life, doesn't see the potential destruction that is coming, doesn't see the train wreck for all those decisions that's going to come. That man's like a foolish man who built his house on sand, on sand. Now, you think about the little story that Jesus is telling here. You're saying, well, why would the guy build the house on the sand? It doesn't seem to make sense. You get one guy, and he builds his house on rock. You've got another guy, and he built his, ha- his house on sand. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't everybody just build their house on the rock? Now, the rock is like the foundation of the home. How many of you know that your house needs a good foundation? Yes? This, this is kind of what Jesus is referring to here. This guy, the first guy, he builds his house on a foundation that is rock. It is solid in comparison to the other guy who built it on sand. Why would he build it on sand? Any ideas? It's easier. Why is it easier? Maybe you don't have to dig to find that rock. It would, would sand have been more common than rock back then? Probably, probably easier to find sand to build on than to find rock. Why else? It's easier. I'll I'll put our building inspector on the spot here. It's cheaper. Yeah. So you save energy and effort. You save money. Hey, I'm smart. I could save money. I could save energy. What else is it? It's faster. I could do it faster, and hey, if I, build, if I build the first house fast, hey, maybe I could build another one. Mm, I could make even more money building houses. Yay, let's build them all on sand, right? So it's cheaper, it's faster, takes less work. I mean, you go to the construction site, things are getting done. Here's the other dude, he's building on the rock. Looks like nothing's happening. Look at me, I'm building on the sand. Look how fast my house is going up. This guy building on the rock, he's, 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 he doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen, I can build it on sand. I can do it cheaper. I can do it faster. I can do it easier. So there's a lot of advantages, it seems, to building on sand. Great, let's build on the sand. The weather, who cares about the weather? The weather will be the same every day, won't it? I mean, we're in Southern California, you know, or we're, we're in the Middle East, like it's dry and it's, you know, there'll be no problems with weather. What's weather? We don't need to worry about the elements. We don't need to worry about safety. We don't need to, you know, there's a saying in, in, in construction, you can, you, we, you can never afford to do it, to do, what is it, to do it right, but you can always do it twice. You know, I, I've seen churches like that where, you know, churches go through building projects. They say, oh, yeah, we found a way we can build it this way, this way, this way. You know what happens? A lot of times they say, we don't want to spend the money. We can do it cheap. We can cut this corner. We can cut that corner. And then two years later, they got to do it again. <laughs> they, paid, they paid more the second time around than it would have cost them to do it right the first time. How many of you know, you, in your, even in your house, you try and cut corners, you try and find a way, say, oh, yeah, and then two years later, oh, man, the whole, thing, the whole thing came crashing down. What a stupid plan that was. How foolish that was. And this is what Jesus is saying. So you got two guys. One of them can connect the dots. The other one, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's easier, it takes less work. The, 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 the builder who's looking for the rock 
It's harder. No instant gratification. Takes longer to do. Going to cost more money. Going to be a slower job. Going to be frustrating. It's going to be a lot of sweat as a result. You know, it's going to be hard, hard, hard work. The one with the sand, he says, I can beat that whole thing. I'm going to come up with a way. I've got a plan. But they're not thinking. No no forward thinking, not, no idea of, hey, your direction is going to determine your destination. Have you played it forward in your head 5, 10, 15 years? Uh, in our place where we live, uh, we live in a condo, and it's got three units to it, not too many units, and we bought the place in 2003. We watched them build it. Yes, they built it on a, on a solid foundation, you know? But man, some of the stuff in that building built cheap, dirt cheap. And now 15 years later, we got to replace the roof. 15 years. It only lasted 15 years. Going to cost 20 grand to replace the roof. You know what we discovered? All, it's all part of one project. All the roofs in the project are all falling apart at the same time. The shingles are coming off in the wind. You can drive by the, the building. You say, how many shingles are still left on that one? Oh, man, look at that. They're all of them. When the wind comes, you can, I mean, I literally found my neighbor's shingles on my back patio. And I, I hear your shingle is on my patio. So, and this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. Foolish, foolishly done. Cheap materials, do it faster, do it cheaper. And, you know, you can cut all those corners and, well, the weather, who cares? It'll be the same tomorrow as it is today. It's a beautiful day today in the neighborhood, Mr. Rogers said, right? It'll be beautiful tomorrow, won't it? You know, I read an article that even foundations of rock need good foundations. So this is, a, this is an article from... Um, uh, foundation uh, specialists, and they talk about how every, they say every house has a foundation, and every foundation must be constructed efficiently, safely, and correctly so it will last. The materials that make up the building block and the process of building it are equally important. However, one thing that's often overlooked is the soil supporting them because even foundations need a solid foundation. Interesting. Each type of soil has different properties that affect foundations differently. Generally, soil will be more stable the more rock and compacted sand or gravel it contains. I mean, they're saying the very same thing that Jesus said, and they're talking about the foundation for the foundation. It's got to be built on the rock because the winds will come, the streams will come, the rain will come. It's going to come to the house that's built on the rock. It's going to come to the house that's built on the sand. It will come. This is the, the there's, a, there's an unpredictability of life in the midst of the predictable. So the people listening to this story that Jesus is telling, they know exactly the outcomes of both things. They know, okay, the guy who built his house on the rock, his, it's going to last. His house is going to stand because that's the culture that they were in. His house is going to last. And then Jesus says, hey, you got this guy and he built it on the sand. And the, and the audience would be rolling their eyes and say, we know where this is going to go. The house is going to crash. We understand the story because the same thing happens to both houses. 
So you can predict based on the foundation what the outcome will be. If the foundation is sand, the outcome will be destruction. If the foundation is rock, the outcome will be survival. The house will stay. In our lives, the predictable, the part that we can control is what is your foundation? What, it, what are you going to choose? Are you going to be like the wise builder and you're going to build your family, your career, your relationships, your, your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, your academic life. It was nice to attend somebody's graduation yesterday. Uh, one of the young guys in our church graduated, and he invited us to the ceremony. You see all these kids, and they're all graduating. Their parents are all happy for them. That's building on the rock, you see. But the kid who says, oh, I don't need to drop out of school, whatever, whatever. I can find, you know, the quick and easy solution. Well, what that is, that's building on the sand, you see. And so the predictable in life is what foundation are you going to build on because there is an unpredictability to life. So you can't say, well, you know, uh, this person here, their, their house has, has stood the test of time. You know, their, their life, their family, their relationships, all these things have stood the test of time. I guess they're just lucky. I guess they're just blessed by God. I guess, you know, God just doesn't like me. God doesn't love me because my life seems to be in shambles all the time. My house is falling all the time. Well, what choices did you make? What foundation did you have for your house? Like, it's not magic. It's not rocket science. But we have to start to learn to connect those dots because the outcome, the destination is based on the direction. My friends, the storm is coming. If you're not living through one for now, take a deep breath and enjoy it because it will come. And you know that all of you in this room could identify a storm in your life. I mean, we have somebody, he's not here today, but he actually has a home in the flood area. He, he has a home in, in uh, Rigo. And it's exactly what this story, the, the water came, the rains came down, and the streams came up. Uh, now, he, I think he's going to manage to salvage his house. He's a very wise contractor, but a lot, a lot, a lot of work, a lot of energy to rebuild, to clean up, to fix it. What decisions are you making? What is your foundation? Are you running red lights are you, are you living in such a way that, oh, it doesn't matter. No, no calamity will come. No problem will come. I'll always have, everything is going to stay the same all for the rest of my life. All of this good, this good moment that I'm having, it's going to stay forever. Are you crazy? You think it's going to stay forever? It's not. There will be a storm that will come. There will be waters that will rise. There will be rains that will come pouring down. If your foundation is not secure, your house will crash to the ground. And Jesus says it this way. He says, uh, you know, everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. They're like the foolish man. He built his house on the sand. The rain came down. The, the waters came up, exactly the same thing as what happened to the man who built his house on the rock. And the winds blew, and they beat against that house, 
and it fell with a great crash. <sighs> great, great crash. I remember a story of a, of a guy who I met downtown. Um, and it, one of the strangest, most bizarre, uh, most dramatic uh, lives that I ever ran into. And this man uh, came from the state of Florida. I ran into him downtown, and our lives kind of intersected there. And um, he had made some horrendous choices in life, uh, choices that got him into a maximum security prison in Florida, uh, choices that got him into gangs and drugs, and choices that made his life intersect with people uh, who would eventually, their lives would change as well as they were involved in what is now, I think, still the most expensive trial in, in Broward County history in the state of Florida. It's called the Nickelodeon murder uh, story. And you had people who went into a nightclub after hours and they executed kind of execution style. I believe it was three people. And the whole thing was caught on video. Uh, very expensive, and there were two people who were convicted initially uh, of these killings, and they were sentenced to, to the death penalty. And while on death row, both of them appealed. And this man who I ran into, who my life intersected with, he knew those guys. He knew both of them. He had interacted with both of them the night that the incident took place. And he told me, point blank, he said, I can identify both of them. And yet his testimony, over time, his testimony was essentially rejected, thrown out, because his life was a shambles. His life was like this, like this house that came crashing down. I mean, nobody believed what he said. Is what he said true? I don't know. But one of those two who allegedly committed those, those brutal murders has, has uh, walked and is now a free man. The other one uh, was, was retried and was found guilty and will face, uh, I believe it's three consecutive life sentences or something, so he's not getting out. So only God and those people know what really happened the night of that event. And it, I mean, it made international news. You can still watch video after video after video. And I'm sitting with this guy. I'm talking with this guy. He says, I know these two men. I can tell you that both of them were involved in it and both of them did it. Is he telling the truth? Is he lying? Who knows? But this man himself made all these horrendous choices in his life. Again, gangs, drugs, violence, prison, all this stuff. Lo and behold, I, I found this, this same man because now he has a bit of an online presence and he has kind of turned his life all the way around. And now he's working, he's in the city of Montreal, he's alive. I mean, I thought he would have been killed, uh, you know, because of all of his involvement and all this crazy stuff, but he's alive and well, and he's like a caseworker for itinerants and people with major problems in the, in the urban and the downtown core of Montreal. And I looked at his whole thing on Facebook and all these articles about him on the internet, it's like, good night, he's alive and well, and he changed his direction. He actually changed. I couldn't believe it when I read Is this the same guy? Because I thought for sure, for sure, for sure, he's not going to make it another five years. I mean, he just runs red light after red light after red light. But sure enough, he's altered his life. He changed the direction of his life. And as a result, the destination, the outcome has changed. 
It's not rocket science, my friends. And maybe you don't relate to that. You say, well, I'm not into you know, drugs and all this stuff. Yeah, but what red lights are you running? What is God saying to you that you're turning a deaf ear to? Some of it is basic, basic principles of life. And you're just saying, oh, well, you know, it'll all work itself out. It'll all fix itself. No, it won't. There's going to be rain. There's going to be wind. There's going to be, it's going to pound on your life. Are you ready for it? Do you have a foundation to handle the storm? That foundation is found in one person alone, the Lord Jesus himself. You begin to develop a relationship with him and follow him. Not press a magic button. I'll take the Jesus pill and it'll fix my life. It's like a pill. No, it isn't. You've got to follow him. As you follow him, what are you doing? You're changing your direction. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, we can see the word repent, which we talked about before. Sometimes that illustrates the whole experience of Christianity. Sometimes in context, it envelops the whole thing because we change our direction. We go from sin to God. We say, I'm changing my direction and I'm following Jesus now. I'm not following myself, I'm not following the crowd, I'm not following what somebody says, I'm not following the news, I'm not following what I think is right, I'm following Jesus. You do that, my friends, and your life will be on a firm foundation because one thing is certain, and Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, wind and rain and flooding is going to come. Will you be ready for it? That's the question.